recording. It's starting now, and it looks good. Okay, ready to go. I can see your pretty face. Let's do this. Good evening. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. I am your host and good friend this evening, Michael Feenan. <laughs> I'm Aaron Hill. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. Uh, may I call you Aaron? <laughs> you may. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe maybe your friends call you Air. <laughs> Actually, at work, they call me A-A-Ron. I'm not even lying. <laughs> what's, the, what's the joke there? Uh, it's the from Key uh, and Peele. Yeah. yeah. You, sit you down, A.A. Ron. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. You, you done messed up, A.A. Ron. <laughs> A.A. Yeah. Ron, I am drinking this evening. Uh, I'm going to enjoy it. And, and for for those listening at home, you're going to get these episodes, of course, uh, a couple weeks apart. But we are actually recording both episodes in a row. So I'm going to be drinking what amounts to basically a metric shit ton of Strongbow. <laughs> oh, I've, my. I... I've already started before we got recording because I, I, I have You're an problem. overachiever. You, I'm you, an overachiever. Um, you're committed to this. And so I've got, I'm on a Strongbow Gold Apple at the moment. I bought one of the, the cases that's the assorted cherry blossom and orange and a nice. couple apples. They are uh, incredibly enjoyable, actually. I've, I, I had it a while back and got real fond of it, uh, not the least because it, <laughs> Tastes like it includes the essence of Patrick Stewart. That's a selling point, right? Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, okay, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I've got the Grand Mayan Tequila Mezcal made from agave, ultra aged. This is the real shit right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fancy <laughs> tequila, we know. <laughs> it's the same one from last time, but it's so I, good. I feel like we are. This evening's Drunken UX and drinking session is going to be very much a a bit of a therapy session, I think, for <laughs> yeah. the two of us. Yes. So I apologize in advance for how episode six may or may not go after we've gotten a few of these in us. But hey, somebody was telling us that we didn't drink enough on the show already. So this just gives us a chance to really push that envelope and see uh, how big of a mess we can make. Yes. Oh, by the way, you know what? If what? people want to check us out and interact with us and tell us how much more we should be drinking. Why they would can... they want to do that? I don't know. But if they do, they can check us out on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Drunken UX. I'm really if... funny on there occasionally. <laughs> I say things. <laughs> hey, my, my, my tweets get high impressions. That's all I'm going to say. I haven't given AA Ron the keys to the Twitter account yet. I should probably do that so everybody else can hold me accountable to uh, making that happen. I kind uh, of like I kind of like snarking in the mentions to the tweets that come out. And uh, it would be weird if I was tweeting like setting up my own jokes and then hitting them. So I like that you're tweeting them out and then I can snark at them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. I yeah I have conversations with myself because yeah. that's what you do when you have multiple Twitter accounts. <laughs> Um, so for those of you looking to get into social media, there you go. That's the big trick of the trade. Um, it's not, you don't have to be funny to other people. Just be funny to yourself. <laughs> also Slack. Uh, did oh, we right. mention Slack? Did you mention we, Slack? I, I did not mention it. It's drunkenux.com slash Slack, right? We have a redirect for the sign up. 
that will take you straight to our Slack channel. Jump in there. It's a great way. Uh, uh, if you noticed our blog, we posted an update to episode four. Um, mm-hmm. That includes some more information on restaurant menus. That's right. That yeah. came courtesy of one of our listeners jumping in and sharing some extra information Jonathan, with us. That Jonathan Steffens? Jonathan Steffens, yeah. Um, yeah. So... Shout out to him, and if anybody else, you listen to these episodes and new information comes out, um, whatever the case may be, please let us know. And we will be happy to either correct ourselves or share that and make sure folks have the complete picture. <laughs> yeah, thank, thanks to Jonathan for that feedback. That was cool stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I appreciate the hell. And, and everybody else. We've had several people in and out of the Slack channel and on Twitter. Um, it's it makes me feel good as a as a host to hear from people and they're like, oh, we really enjoy the show. And I'm like, good, I'm glad somebody besides my mom does. <laughs> like, you have such a sweet radio voice, Michael. <laughs> like, I know, but this isn't radio. I can say shit on this. She didn't tell you have a radio face. Speaking of complete pictures, I want to get started. Before we jump into the higher ed topic tonight, I want to take just a few minutes and talk about um, Salon. Salon hit the news... Um, what, a week ago, week and a half ago, a couple weeks ago? I don't know, somewhere in there. What'd they, what'd they do? So Salon, like many news websites, have a, an ongoing love-hate relationship with uh, uh, with ad blockers. And <laughs> their solution to this idea was to offer a light version. You know, a lot of these websites, they, you know, please whitelist us please turn your ad blocker mm-hmm. off to view this content um some forbes is one i think that's notorious like if you've got an ad blocker on they just basically give you the middle finger yeah um yeah and like many people uh, i don't need them <laughs> so and i get it i know people gotta get paid you gotta get paid mm-hmm. um and that just feels like really a really bad example of anticipating what your users want, expect, and need from you. Salon's yeah. answer to this, uh, man, I have mixed feelings. <laughs> so they have the do nothing approach. They have the whitelist us approach. They have added a third option, which is send blood. Help in a way, <laughs> in a fashion. They want you to commit a core or two of your CPU while you're reading their site oh. to mining bitcoins. Oh my god! Um, oh, I'm face palming right now. You can't see it, but I'm yeah. God, I wish I had a. I don't want to say I don't have a well-formed opinion on this because I do. I wish I had a well-formed feeling about it, though. Mm. Salon's using a company called Monero that has released a JavaScript framework that websites can mm-hmm. use to mine bitcoins yep this has become a big deal because some sites salon is a as a major site they you know have tons of users they make millions of dollars they're doing everything right they're not forcing it on you they are asking okay they don't, uh, yeah i'll give they you don't that. tell you up front everything that's going to happen when you click that button but they do have a page you can go to and get that uh that information from them um, sure. my instinct is that 95% of those users wouldn't understand what that means, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you laid it out in, in Lego blocks, <laughs> um, 
But a lot of other sites have implemented this stuff without telling users. Mm-hmm. I have a and, I have a campfire story for you after this about that. Oh no! Please share your oh. campfire story. <laughs> okay, so my previous employer. I'm gonna shame the company that did this because I a I have proof, and b I think it's a shitty thing to do. But we were using a third-party social media aggregator called Tint, TintUp.com, and they. One day, one of our people found uh, noticed that when he went to a certain page that had a um, a tint aggregator on it, it uh, it pegged his CPU usage to 100%, and he didn't know why. And so he told us, and we went, and we looked at it, and I popped around in the DevTools console, and I discovered that uh, there was some WebAssembly being loaded, and I think it was they were using CoinHive, one of those, but. Anyways, they were doing crypto mining and they weren't telling the users. There was our sorry, let me clarify this. They were doing crypto mining on our website of our users without getting our consent as the carrier, nor the consent of the users. And I emailed them and I, I, I said, Are you doing this? And they contacted one of the tech people and said, like, oh yeah, we just switched it on yesterday to try it out as an experiment. And I was like, Really? Because we never opted into this and it's not in your TOS or anything. Uh, so I'm going to have to get in touch with our legal department <laughs> um, and our security office as well. A- anyways, I, I I don't know if that's still being used or not because I've um, left that job. Not because of that, just moving on. But um, But yeah, that was a real shitty thing to do that they did. And I have screenshots, and they will be in the show notes. Um, <laughs> uh, Justice so, by Drunken UX. <laughs> right. I actually, I've, I've been meaning to tell the story about this. I just haven't had time because the last three months have been incredibly busy. And I, I have an unfinished Medium article about it. But you heard it here first. <laughs> it's, it's tough because a lot of folks will say, well, what's the harm? If it's not interrupting your experience and it's not breaking anything, then what's the problem? And as one person put it, the the problem is that it chews up, you know, a core, two mm-hmm. cores of your CPU, depending on, you know, the, the way the system is set up. Um, and, I mean, it can turn, like, a MacBook into an iron. Yeah. It, it can crank up that heat so high. Um, yeah. Because it's it's throttling the CPU, um, and it absolutely can impact you if you are trying if you've got a tab open in the background, you're not thinking about it, mm-hmm. and then you go to do like in our case, if I was trying to record this podcast right now, and I had a tab in the background that was chewing away at my CPU, mm-hmm. I would be having all kinds of latency problems in my waveform as we're recording. It would keep stuttering because. My CPU is getting throttled by this background process. Yeah. And not to mention that they're basically trying to just offload, you know, all the electricity, all the hardware and everything to the user. Yeah. Um, That being said, where this gets a little hairy is, is informed consent for that kind of process okay? I Um, I think, I think they're doing the right thing by telling you. And I, I, I may not like it, 
and I would probably say like, no, I'll take the ad version. And then I would just you know go into dev tools and disable the overlay and whatever. But, um, but I, I think that it's at least them asking you first, I think is okay. Yeah. Um, Burke Kessels has an article that he wrote, and again, as always, it'll be in the show notes. Great read. Go check it out. It's a very interesting um, look at this issue, why it exists, what the challenges are. Um, One thing that he looks at is, if you're familiar with, and I don't know, Aaron, have you used the, uh, the web browser Brave by chance? I haven't, but that's the one that the Brendan Eich from Firefox made, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... He made this browser, and part of the idea of Brave is that there is a a tool within it that lets you mine cryptocurrency and pay the websites you visit. Um, Remember Readability? Remember the tool Readability? (laughs) No. (laughs) This is what happens when I have spent way too much time on the internet. Um, So Readability, you know uh, what Pocket is. Yeah. Or Instapaper. So readability was a tool just like Pocket or Instapaper or any of these, but it was designed around this idea of being able to say, you know what, I'm going to pay 10 bucks a month, and I'm going to divvy that up amongst all of these places where I'm reading their content from. Mm-hmm. And so it just it, it gave you a way to pay as a consumer, pay for content that you were getting. And there was no set fees. There was no set level of how much you had to pay. It, it was just encouraged that you should. Um, yeah. And that's very much what this what the Brave uh, browser is trying to do by using cryptocurrency mining. You can divvy up what you mine amongst the websites you visit as a way of compensating them so they don't have to use ads. So mm-hmm. where this all comes around, uh, Burr talks about in his article how the the Brave browser came out and said, we aren't allowing this. We are going mm-hmm. to block any JavaScript that's doing crypto mining. And I agree with him that that seems like the wrong answer because it prevents us from having this bigger conversation of there is an argument to be made that that's a great way to compensate people who are creating content. And by flat out saying without exception that we're just going to block that, you basically shut down any informed conversation on how to do that right. I Maybe the right thing to do for Brave is to say, this site is trying to vote crypto mining. Are you okay with this? And then just say, you know, basically like this site wants to use your camera or know your location. Just have a yeah. different kind of pop-up that says that. Yeah, and uh, that's, that would probably be okay. That's the exact recommendation that Burr made. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, lo- the location API, anything of that nature, um, make it an informed thing let people make their own decision on it. I completely agree that that means you have to teach people what that means because they aren't going to understand it, especially early on. But at any rate, it's a, it's an interesting idea. It's an idea Mm -hmm. that actually I think has a ton of potential Mm -hmm. also has so much room for abuse. Um, And I, I think that's the real concern on my part. I think the concern I would have is what it's incentivizing. Because if you're now saying that, uh, like, even if we're, let's say that every website who decides to do this does it the salon way and they get your consent, you know, I'm opting in to do crypto mining. Then, then, it, like, um, remember when ad, ad impressions and CPM and everything became kind of the, 
the way sites were monetized. And then all of a sudden you now see like slideshow sites and you see sites that have one article broken into five pages when it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Unfortunately. And yeah. <laughs> so I, I suspect that sites, it will incentivize sites to try to engineer their content in such a way that it maximizes the amount of time you're on the site doing the things. I, I don't know exactly how they'll do that. And I don't know that I want to think of ideas of how they'll do that. <laughs> but, but I'll, yeah. I'll close out on this thought, and I think this is really the thought that drives something like this home is, what if Facebook decided to do it? Oh, my God. Or YouTube, or, or one of these big players. Yeah. Just what, how would we feel, you know, if it wasn't a, a small news site or a big news site, you know, CNN, Washington Post, Fox News, whoever the case may be. Uh, but I think Facebook really is the defining character in that play. If Facebook launched that kind of functionality, how would people feel about it? Right. And that, oh, that I don't know be... the answer. Yeah, I don't either. So oh. this is, uh, this is, that's this week's answer. Aaron topic. <laughs> yes. How, how would you feel if Facebook <laughs> launched crypto mining behind the scenes on the platform? Oh, even if yes. it was, not even it doesn't even have to be shady. It can be total informed consent type situation. Right. Yeah. Would you answer be okay me with, with your, it? Answer me with your feelings. Ans <laughs> answer with your heart, baby. <laughs> so we'll leave you with that. Um, yeah. So on to the big topic for this evening. Mm -hmm. I think it probably would benefit folks to know a little bit about our background there. <laughs> So in 2006, mm -hmm. I happened to go to a little Midwestern D2 school called Pittsburgh State University. That's Pittsburgh in Kansas, not Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, right. as everybody tea, right? seems to think. One T in the name? Uh, no, two T's, no H. Oh, that's right. Two T's, no H. <laughs> we spelled it right. They were the obstinate <laughs> city that refused to change. <laughs> I sure. was hired there to join their web development team, which was at that point located inside of uh, IT. Ultimately, they came in, decided to do a whole redesign of the website, CMS implementation, the whole nine. You know, none of that existed. Shortly through that process, they moved me to marketing. Mm -hmm. Marketing eventually moved into marketing and communication. Um, but... Over the course of six years, I basically managed, you know, everything with our website from server administration and updates to the CMS administration, uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript coding, front-end design, content writing. Um, I set up our Twitter, Facebook, YouTube for the first mm -hmm. time. Um, all the analytics, you know, Facebook advertising, that all happened while I was there. Um, and I was there up until 2012. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of years anchored into that space and I cared a lot for it. Um, I eventually partnered up with uh, a gentleman by the name of Kyle James. Um, mm -hmm. He ran a website called .edu Guru, um, which hopefully oh. a few of our listeners will have heard of. <laughs> I didn't know he ran that site. I thought we yeah. said it was Nick. No, no, no. Uh, no oh, okay. Nick Denardis. Yeah. Yeah, no, Nick wrote with us um, along with yeah. uh, Carlin Morissette uh, right. and, and Nikki and um, Paul joined uh, there towards the end. We had huh. a good group of folks um, right. writing about web technology in higher education, web marketing and all of that. So 
that's my attachment to tonight's topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I started about the same time you did, 2006, uh, September, if I recall, uh, working at Indiana University. And we actually got, oh no, it was it was high ed checkup. That was, or EDU checkup was the thing that Nick did, right? Yeah, yeah, EDU checkup. Yeah, they, yeah he, he reviewed our site and we got, we got an A rating. <laughs> um, I worked there uh, initially in IT and then we got rolled into Marcom. And then I uh, was there for like four years, about four years. And then I went on to Cornell and I worked at Cornell for seven, seven years, seven glorious years. Uh, and then I actually just left there on uh, beginning of February, so a few weeks ago. Um, so yeah, I've been in higher ed. I, I was in higher ed for quite a over a decade. And you know, one of the reasons I think this is so important to us is, you know, higher end, higher end. Yep, <laughs> already had a lot of strongbow. Uh, <laughs> higher ed gets the short end of the stick a lot of the time in this area mm-hmm. because. Everybody in large organizations in any industry needs web people. And when you've got a field like that, you are in competition with all of those other industries. Mm -hmm. And higher ed cannot necessarily afford to pay web people the same as a lot of private industry can. That's true. And they can offer other incentives, and that's what keeps a lot of people around, you know, being able to get your, you know, get a degree while you're working or send your kids to school or, or any mm-hmm. number of things. A lot of schools, you know, offer more flexible hours or shorter hours in the, the summer. The so insurance get, benefits are usually great. Some. Well, if <laughs> the school's on the school. big enough. Yeah. Um, but they're also under huge pressure, and, you know, whether that's from internal pressure, whether that's from, you know, budget forces, uh, it's a incredibly thankless job. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I remember nights, you know, 2 a.m. rolls around. I don't have an on-call rotation. I am the on-call rotation. <laughs> I'm <You know>? sorry. <laughs> Somebody tweets us at 8 o'clock at night and I'm out at dinner. Somebody's got to respond. Guess who gets to take a break? me um and you know i i refer to myself but that's you know across the board you know that's the story you hear from everybody bear in mind just for context this was back in you would have been doing that back in what 2008 2009 maybe yeah eight nine yeah so that was back when like people still tweeted through text message and there wasn't a really good twitter app yet and it didn't have nearly the market penetration that it does now so like for to be for to tell someone like oh hold on I gotta respond to a tweet you would get weird looks you'd be like oh is that that Twitter thing Twitter that Twitter thing or even if you, it was just Facebook I gotta yeah. go answer this Facebook post well why <laughs> yeah well because it's kind of my job um, dude check out my MySpace <laughs> so that's the thing and and uh, you leave a piece of yourself there no matter what like I'm. I'm a big education person. I couldn't be a teacher. I love kids. I would probably kill an administrator at some point because <laughs> I just don't have that kind of patience. But I love teaching yeah. and I love education. And yeah. the people who really hold out in that field are all people who – they're there because of the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and they believe in that mission. And they have a goddamn hard job. Yeah. Um, so tonight's episode is going to be a little bit freeform. I – 
was kind of joking, kind of not when I said, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a therapy session for Aaron and I, I think, because <laughs> a lot of what we're going to talk about is just personal anecdotes, you know, the challenges we've faced and, and why those challenges exist so that if you're a user and you go to these university websites, you understand why right. it's not good. Um, or if you're somebody interested in getting into that space, know what you are getting into because it is not a normal working environment. Yeah. So I want to go back. Um, how far back do I have to go for this? Um, you know, the thing about any three that, yeah, you, the problem with XKCD is that he doesn't date his articles. I think it is, comics. but I think it's in the source. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's probably in the source. I, I've already control you into this here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't see a date either. Oh, crap. It was 2010. Oh, you know what you can do if you go to explain XKCD. I bet um, I bet they have. The, the timestamp on that. You would think we would have done this before we started recording, but we didn't. Tough. In our defense, we've been drinking. In our defense, I've been drinking a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't know the answer to this okay, question. Okay, I have the page brought up. It is... Nine, it's from ten. 20, it's from 2010. Ten, okay. July 30th, 2010. There you go. If you if you don't know what we're talking about, this is comic 773. And... Comic 773 was the XKCD about the university website. The reason that we know this and we reference this is because this comic strip has haunted higher yeah. education for it six years. <laughs> I really hope that uh, it, it's Randall, right? That's his name. Yeah, that, Randall. That draws us. Yeah. I hope he understands what he has done to this industry <laughs> with this comic strip. Because you cannot go to a higher ed conference without this comic strip coming up in somebody's slide deck every yeah. single time. And I am not speaking hyperbolically. It is literally every conference. Yeah. It is that bad. Um, but it's that means it speaks very truthfully to that problem. And it speaks to it in a way that six years later still true yeah that's tough so we should probably explain this right <laughs> yeah yeah that would be good I, i'm assuming that your you clever listeners have already it, you figured it out where the site is or you've looked at the show notes and you've found the link and are looking through it don't um, don't try to find the comic strip if you're listening to us while driving in your car that oh yeah good. don't do that don't yeah, do that. set the drink down first and then do it so you know what a venn diagram is yeah yeah circle yes. circle overlap yeah. That's what we have here. So in one circle, you have the things on the front page of a university website. And on the other side, you have things people go to the site looking for. Right. You made a great point about this <laughs> from last week. Or not last week, right. but uh, episode four with Kiss Pam. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> and so this, this ties back to that idea that meet the base needs of the user first before trying to do all the other things. Yeah. And I think that's I mean that's really what this diagram kind of gets back to is how bad higher ed is at that process. Right. On the left side of this comic strip, we said it's things that are on the university front page. The campus photo slideshow, alumni in the news, promotions mm. for campus events, press releases, 
Statement of the school's philosophy. Letter from the president. Virtual tour. Right. Hey, now. Take it easy with the virtual tour stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have a vested interest in that. I'm just saying. <laughs> on, on the right side, things people go to the site looking for. A list of faculty phone numbers and emails. Campus address. Application forms. Academic calendar. Campus police phone number. Department course lists. Parking information. A usable campus map. That's really where my money is. Right. <laughs> and then the one thing that both circles have. Full name one of item. school. <laughs> full name full, of school. Full name of school. That's the yep. only thing both have in common. And yeah, it's a comic. Yeah, it's, you know, unfortunately, this is pretty true. It's, it's creepily accurate. Yes. Wait, one thing, in my, in my years of working in Marcom as a web professional... Uh, the thing that jumps out to me immediately from this is that the right side of the Venn diagram, what the things people go to the site looking for set, those are almost all use cases for prospective and current students. Yep. The things on the left side, I'm those are things that appease faculty, I guess, or like administrators. Like it's these aren't things that the people, the students are, are never. Or, or I don't want to say never, but rarely will the students be interested in those things. Right. Students are interested in press releases in exactly one scenario. And I can tell you what that scenario is. That's Well, I take it back. Two scenarios. And the other one is horrible, but I will point it out. Uh, the main one is, does it involve somebody they know or something they care about? Oh, yeah, yeah. They will true. go see an article about their friend or about, you know, yes. a class they're in or whatever the case may be. That's yes. one case. The other, pretty girls. Yeah, okay. I I have data that backed up when we were running different centerpieces. Is it the always showed Girls Under Trees? Girls Under Trees. Girls Under Trees. Hashtag Girls Under Trees. Uh, right. If you put a pretty girl on the centerpiece, people clicked it. They just did. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are all the psychology reasons why that's true, um, mm -hmm. but there you go. Yeah, I don't have to there like was, that. <laughs> back in, I think this was like two thousand eight, maybe two thousand nine. We had a girls under trees photo taken by our uh, awesome staff photographer, and I mean legitimately awesome. That's not being sarcastic. Uh, and I uploaded it, and I labeled the photo um, two girls, one tree." Um, <laughs> nobody noticed it until I got an intern and he was like editing that page and he just started cracking up. <laughs> you, sir, are a horrible human being. <laughs> yeah. With, I mean, I, that's the reality of mm -hmm. the only time press releases matter to people though. Yeah. Press releases and this will follow up with some of this in uh, part two of the higher ed episode here. But the reason press releases exist is only for local news, basically, mm -hmm. to help support television, newspaper, yes. to give an outlet for that information. And most PR departments on campuses, they just they have a, a quota. Yeah. They have to I, put out an I, article I do every think... two days. I completely support the 
the desire and the need for putting press releases on the university website. I think it's the canonical and correct place to put that information, to have an authoritative source that this is the story in the voice of the university and this is the primary source and all shares and everything else can be referring back to this place. However, I, I don't know that the feed for it needs to go on the homepage. I think that putting it in a press or news section and then maybe just having a link to that from the homepage could work. Uh, maybe. But mainly, your drivers are going to be Google indexing it, um, so people searching for it, and then social media shares. Yeah. That's going to be your inroads for that. And the people who care about that aren't people that are going to give you money. Right. They aren't the people enrolling. They're rarely going to be alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's the hard truth on it. And I'll again, I'll talk about this more in the second half, but the reality is most schools to this day still do their news section badly. Not just like yeah. on the homepage, but in general. They do their news yeah. section badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll I'll give you some tips on how to not do that. And that's true for a lot of organizations for that matter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that advice I think will cross-pollinate um, all right. Stay tuned to the Drunken UX podcast. When we return, we'll be looking at Arizona.edu and what they've done to help solve the problem of their homepage. The Drunken UX podcast is made possible by our friends at GasMark 8. GasMark 8 is a web hosting firm with data centers in New York, San Francisco, London, and Frankfurt. Customers of GasMark 8 enjoy free SSL certificates, sites that are served over HTTP2, and the experience of owners who design the service around the needs of their customers. Listeners of the Drunken UX podcast can enjoy service for $10 a month. Just sign up at gasmark8.com slash drunk. That's gasmark, the number 8.com slash drunk. It's, yeah, it, it's one of those things that when you think about who your audience is and so I, I don't want to go too far down that road yet. Cause I want to, yeah. I do want to bring up before we get uh, down the rabbit hole a little bit, what uh, Arizona university of oh, yeah. is it Arizona. Yeah. You know, it's, it's university of Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh eight, 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 Oh, it's at dot Arizona dot edu. Yeah. Ar- university of Arizona. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know how, um, you know how with like access or with usability or accessibility issues, it's section 508 compliant. Like you say that this site is section 508 compliant. Right. So um, University of Arizona made 773 compliant, which is referring to the article number of the XKCD comic, um, 773. And on at.at.arizona.edu, they have literally just the things from the right side of the Venn diagram. Um, and it's not pretty. It has what appears to be fireworks, literally fireworks in the background. Like this is 1995. What is that about? <laughs> I, I I think they just went full troll with it. I don't know. I Whatever. <laughs> but uh, it has an embed of the photo of, of the image from XKCD. And then it just has a list of the things um and didn't they have a search oh they have a link back to the actual website which is like your typical higher ed website yeah um but i 
I gotta say, it's kind of refreshing to just see this information. I can look at that and I can be like, if I was a student here, I could probably find exactly what I was looking for in about 10 seconds or less. And that's pretty <laughs> awesome. It, I don't know. Why, uh, why do we have to do that, though? <laughs> that's really the, the killer on that. Um, you know what I would love to see is analytics from at.arizona.edu, just because I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious if anybody I really would like to see that. It. Or if they just yes, I would like to see that too. Did they just make it as a goof? Um, I mean, I know they made it as a goof, but does it actually yeah. get use because of that? Um, it, yeah. it very well could. It very easily could. Right. And not just from people like us who are kind of gawking at it, like, look what they did. It's so cool. But like from students who attend there who are like, oh, you know, fuck that regular site. <laughs> just give me the, the minimalist one. Yeah. <laughs> they made it easy to get to. Yeah. At .arizona.edu. How much easier do you want it? <laughs> well, I mean, if they just made it arizona.edu, that would be a little easier. I I want to give a, a shout out to Mark, right? Um, oh, yeah, Greenfield. Yeah. Right. So Mark Greenfield is a friend of ours. Um, he has worked at uh, is SUNY uh, uh, Rochester, right? Yeah, I think for, he's up in Rochester. For a long time, works with Noel Levitz, um, yep. does lots mm -hmm. of, of student uh, research. He's, he's been in the web forever, talks a ton about web governance and, and leadership and all of those things. Dude is a, a brilliant mind on all of this. And I've heard him talk. I don't know, Aaron, how, if you've seen like any of the talks he, he gives. but He consulted for us or he consulted with us um, a couple years ago on this issue when we did a information architecture redo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's very knowledgeable. He's, he's good at it. And very a very nice fellow too. We had I had brunch with him, some other guys in here in Ithaca one time. He he also is a uh, fan of English sports cars, as it turns out, <laughs> and, and Our Lady Peace, which are two things we have in common. So those are nice. uh, I've had fun little chats with him about all that. <laughs> At any rate, we digress. So well, in so he wrote this article that is in the show notes from InsideHigherEd.com. It's from August 2010, so it's maybe a week after the XKCD comic went up. Um, and he makes two points that I think are um, they're they're still they're still very relevant, even though it the the surface has changed slightly since then in eight years since that was published. So the first point he makes, um, I'm just going to read this direct quote here. Uh, Greenfields also said prioritizing user needs based on research is not currently conventional wisdom. I think it's growing, he said, but I think people who really practice the principles of user-centered design are still a minority. Since 2010, I think the language of user-centered design, and by that I mean words like usability, UX, uh, even like UI engineering or optimization, those things are words that have entered the vocabulary of leadership. Um, but I don't know that they are prioritized enough. Um, but it's at least something where you can bring it up and they can say, oh, I recognize those words. Yeah. And there can at least be a dialogue. Um, I think that there's still... Uh, well, I'll get to the second point and then I'll come back to this. Um, so the second thing he said was that 
Some colleges' homepages are saturated with features, I think this is a direct quote, uh, that do not so much reflect guesses at what visitors need, but what various campus interests want. Greenfield said, homepage politics, quote, different departments and personalities jockeying for a position have a strong influence on what an institution's site ends up looking like. After all, he said, if a president once says he wants a letter and a mission statement out front, what web administrator is going to say no? And I think that that is still, that's the place where leadership fails with this stuff, is that the um, the the desires of the people who want the things on that left side of the Venn diagram are still being over-prioritized over what is the more sensible user-centered design approach. Um, and and that, that is something that is still very much alive, um, both at the places I've worked and also where most of our peers in higher ed have worked. Yeah. I, you know, it comes back to this idea that there's a brain drain and it's not just in web, but it's also, you know, in marketing and IT leadership because it takes, you know, to sit down and have a conversation with a university president or a provost or a, you know, director of advancement or any of, you know, these really high up people that have vested interests in website performance. It takes a leader with a really strong personality to sit down and say, no, you are wrong. <laughs> Yeah. No, what you want is important, but here's what we're going to do about it. Rather than the stance of capitulation where mm. you end up with the homepages that you see um, yeah. on so many universities. Uh, that's, you know, the, uh, well, and again, this is something that'll come up in, in the next uh, episode. But when you look at the homepage centerpieces, those are a reflection of that. One reason mm -hmm. why carousels, and by God, anybody who knows me or ever wants to talk to me about this topic, <laughs> I have given talks at conferences on the evil of rotating carousels. The reason yeah. carousels exist and have persisted in higher ed is almost entirely because web developers want a way of being able to say, oh yeah, we got your stuff on the homepage. It's there. It's in the, it's in the carousel. <laughs> It's a, have to wait 30 seconds to see it. <laughs> it's a dumping ground that is yeah. created out of a need to be able to give up. And that's an awful feeling well, as a web developer. So there's there's another thing there, too. And, and I think this is something else that is that's also happening. And I, I mean no disrespect to uh, any people in leadership positions who have done this because I, I know that being in that position is a very difficult thing. But I, I think what happens a lot of times is that the they will look at what other schools are doing and they will assume that those schools know what they're doing. And so clearly we should emulate what they're doing because they're a successful school. And there's, I mean, there's a, there's a logical breakdown like that, that it's kind of almost non sequitur logic, but it's also circular. It's the blind leading the blind. Yeah, because the because that school, like who's to say that school didn't also say the same thing emulating another school. And at some point you're going to get back to like the original school and it's just going to be someone who is like either capitulating to their leadership or just trying something out because they want to or because uh, whatever, you know. Um, but I, I think that if you are. If you're emulating someone else's design, even if they're a successful institution, it doesn't mean your decision is bad. 
but it should be more closely evaluated for its own merits and whether or not it applies to your institution. The big challenge from where, you know, certainly where I sat and, and plenty of folks that I've worked with out, you know, at other institutions um, or talked to, you know, at events, whatever the case may be, is that, you know, th there are sort of two levels of challenge here. You have the real, or you have the fake challenge, rather, of we do stuff to shut people up. You know, we, we mm. put a link in this menu and we don't want it there, but it made them happy and it didn't cost me anything but a line of code to do it. Yeah. That's a problem. But the real problem is that even when you strip away all of the politics and all of the gamesmanship between departments and, and needs, there is a real genuine challenge that circulates around who the audience of your homepage is. And mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah. Traditional knowledge would absolutely tell you it is prospective students, period. Yeah. Without absolutely. prospective students, you have nothing else you need. You don't have alumni, you don't have current students, you don't have faculty. Right. So it's well it's it's prospective students and also alumni. But we do it, need it, lesser. Yeah. We need to, you know, serve those audiences at least in a capacity because they're all going to funnel through that point. And that makes yeah. for a very unique challenge unto itself. But it gets buried and pushed against from these other sort of made-up fights, as it were. Yeah. And so you wonder why the XKCD comic gets made. That's why. Yeah. I, I think that um, the issues... So the, the primary, if you're not a higher ed person or haven't worked at higher ed Marcom, the audiences that higher ed deals with are you have prospective students which is um usually teenagers or people leaving getting ready to leave high school um so people you want to apply and come to your school then you have current students people who have already enrolled and are paying you tuition and then you have alumni which are people who have graduated and are potential donors and then you have um faculty and then you have uh, industry people but, for some schools. I, I'll add one there. Sometimes mm -hmm. uh, the alumni-ish, mm -hmm. it, it can depend. Parents get thrown into one of those groups usually, whether yeah. it's the alumni group or the prospective group. There's usually mm -hmm. like a family and friends sort of right, segment right. somewhere that branches off admissions and – because parents do a lot of the research for kids in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. so that's important. We're throwing out there. Sorry, continue, when, please. When we, <laughs> when we did, when I was at Cornell, we did a a full information architecture redo uh, a few years ago, and um, uh, Katie Hoff, I think that was her name from um, from uh, Cornell Web, whatever is from the Central Central Cornell, um. She she did all of these different um, she did a lot of great usability research and IA research and it was awesome yeah I seriously like if you ever need that done anyone like she's great I highly recommend her she did she identified different persona and um, and it was like there was parents there was corporate recruiters there was alumni current students wasn't one of them but that was sort of a strategic leadership decision. Uh, which I in this context made sense, but uh, and then uh, prospective students and the parents were sort of rolled into that, but we had kind of a segmentation within that. Um, and 
each one of these different audiences really has almost a completely different set of stories that they want to do with the website. You know, like parents want certain information that is almost mutually exclusive entirely with what a corporate recruiter or an alumni would want. Well, not to mention um, that a, a parent, the, the life cycle of that visitor starts mm-hmm. in the prospective student, but almost ends at current student. Uh, yeah. Because once they're, if their kid gets enrolled or doesn't, either way, at that point, the parent's role in the website largely disconnects. There are a few yeah. issues, but as far as like a primary audience, they certainly yeah. drop off the radar. Whereas a student goes through three life cycles, prospective student, mm-hmm. current student, alumni. Some, yeah. you know, I have plenty of friends who are now faculty at different universities that I went to school with. Mm-hmm. So now they've entered the fourth phase, so to speak. Those life cycles are utterly different in alien ways to each other. Yeah. They, they, when I was at IU, um, my director there, Rob Zinkin, he's an awesome guy also. I think he works for Bloomington now. He, he was really big on life cycle marketing. And that was something where um, the, uh, our, our web team got merged into the Department of External Affairs. And he was our fearless leader. And um, we had, like, there was an absolutely direct chain of custody between the admissions people and the campus life people for current students uh, and also some other administrator things like uh, registrar and whatnot. And then uh, our alumni and then our gift development people. And it was like it, there was a, a like a CRM handoff and everything. It was like it was it was really well streamlined. That's actually really impressive, too, because a lot of universities have, you know, logistical and legal issues with mm-hmm. particularly the current student to alumni handoff because mm-hmm. the alumni office for a lot of schools is separate ish. Yeah, it's like a, it's a separate organization that's affiliated. But as a result, the university can't just hand them yeah. certain information. Um, we, we won like three case five of gold awards that year. We, it was that we we kicked ass that year. I'm not gonna lie. Show off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the life cycle piece of it yeah. is incredibly challenging. Um, yeah. If, and, and again, that's for a million different reasons um, that make this job just you know super challenging. If you love a challenge, work mm-hmm. at a higher ed website, and you're gonna understand <laughs> what it means to have questions that just don't have answers. Um, or have answers that make no sense um, <laughs> at all. Why Why can't you have a photo of this player who's happens to be a basketball player, but he's in the background? Because the NCAA rules are stupid. That's why. The the homepage politics thing is is that is a real thing. It's um everyone. Well, I most people, most departments all believe that their content is special yep. and deserves to be on the homepage. And I, I've found for those of you who work in higher ed marketing, um, the approach that I have found is most effective is one that is data-based. So get your analytics, show people how they're getting to that content. You know, if you have your news at events, for example, are people actually getting to the events through the homepage? If not, then, uh, you know, show them how they are finding it. Um, 
and that that's going to be your biggest ally with that but get get in the appropriate yeah. venue because yeah yeah the art department's new install of you know some incredibly niche painter you know or, or even you know like a, a senior showcase or something like that you mm-hmm. know that for a lot of schools especially like a big D1 school there's not necessarily a good reason that would percolate to the top of interest for people hitting the website absolutely would be important to people who are going to the art department's website. Right. And that's where yes. we get into this whole topic of how news and PR becomes a partner with university marketing and helps, right. you know, that process. But that's, you know, that it comes back to this idea that the homepages are just kind of, it's, man, every metaphor I think of is, is wrong in a way. And that I think speaks I, I to just, the volume of this problem. I just thought of one. Um, so you mentioned earlier that uh, Mark was a big fan of um, what you said, British sports cars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So it would be like someone who lives in New York City owning like a Lambo or a Ferrari or like a Bugatti or any one of those like super fast sports cars that goes like zero to 60 in negative two seconds. Like you, <laughs> you, you put, you think about putting your foot on the gas. You're already going a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> um, but living in New York City, it, if you've never had the pleasure of being New York City listeners, um, it is basically bumper to bumper traffic 24 uh, seven. And you might be going bumper to bumper at 80 miles an hour, but it's bumper to bumper. And you don't have the freedom to move around. That would be the kind of thing that you'd want to have a sports car for that. So basically, but people have these kinds of sports cars in the city because it projects that image of, oh, I am wealthy and important. Look, I have a sports car. And I think a lot of times the higher ed university websites have a certain look to them because it projects that kind of image. Look, we're an important web, we're an important university. Look at our website. We have all the things. Even if we can't always make the turnoff that we want to make because everybody's blocking us in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Dylan Wilbanks uh, wrote an answer as well to that uh, XKCD article right after it came out. Um, when he was, uh, I think, still at University of Washington. And mm-hmm. one of the things he kind of got into was, you know, they looked at some issues like at the advising office and, and how they could change the way people use their website by actually figuring out genuinely the information people were looking for on the website and putting that there. <laughs> now, pardon like me. An FA, like an FAQ? Yeah, pardon me if that sounds extremely obvious. <laughs> because it is but this goes back to this idea of how hard it can be sometimes to get the obvious thing in place and what they yeah. found was it freed up their staff because now the staff did not have to answer those questions constantly on the phone and emails in person they were able to a- spend time answering you know more detailed questions with people um yeah he he says that you know a university website is a tool for finding answers what do you have the program I want to study is the course (laughs) being offered when I need to take it how do I make a donation to this program you know everybody is coming to your site with a question what are you doing to help them get the answers to those if they learn other stuff along that process awesome so what you're saying is like absolutely correct 
And I think maybe for any listeners that haven't worked in higher ed, they may be thinking like, well, duh. You can you can spend months trying to get the duh moment across. Yeah. And when if you've ever been irritated by a process you've seen on a university website or you, you've tried applying to college or you're in college now and you have these frustrations, we feel you. And a lot of yeah. folks like us want very, very badly to help you. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the important lessons to take away is if you are in a position as a user to express frustration, you should, Please do. You should do that. Yeah. Even if it's minor, because people like us will eat that up. We are not going to take that personally. We're not going to be offended by it. We aren't even going to get frustrated by no. it. We're going to take no, that, that. Seriously, that's ammo. We, that's like, yeah. We are going to load our weapons with that so that when we sit down with the people who have to make the decisions, we can say, look at all these people complaining. Because yeah. here's what happens. Here is one of the takeaways. This is the way decisions get made on a university website. We heard well, hold on. Let me get in character. Wait, I'm 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 the VP of uh of student acquisition. Uh okay. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but in this case it is. Why not? Sure. Aaron, we yes. uh we're gonna need you to uh swap out the calendar on the homepage and um Put in a link to donate to the athletics website because uh, I, I I know this might uh, be a problem, but um, one of our donors um, who has a kid that's thinking about coming here was complaining that they couldn't find the athletics website right away. So if you could just put <laughs> that button so that they can donate just straight away. <laughs> we heard that was a problem and... It's important that we solve that problem. Yes. And if that sounds that, stupid, it's because it is. And it's not that unrealistic, I'll be honest. No. Uh, Everybody, yeah. I, and I'm going to push this to all of our higher ed friends that are all going to listen to this, yeah. I hope. Go to the website and leave a comment about that exact frustration because it's happened mm-hmm. to literally everybody. Every VP, every provost, every important person, or what we call hippos, the highest paid person's opinion, (laughs) every single one of them has talked to somebody, a person, or heard about somebody who was irritated with something or didn't like something. And that suddenly becomes more important than the thousand people that you had in a user study. Because it's personal for the person who's making the decision. Right. Um, which, if that sounds anything at all like politics, it's because it is. So that's why we say, if if you are a user of a higher ed website and you're frustrated, mm-hmm. let people know because they will take that back and be able to say, I heard someone say, it, right. it's a terrible way of doing business, but it is kind of that reality. Until that process settles down and find some degree of normalcy um i don't know what the better answer to that is and really if you are no matter who you are if you're a parent a student alumni whatever um you can typically find pretty much every higher ed institution has a twitter feed now i'd like to point out that when i was at iu east we were one of the first 
one not the first, but one of the first to embrace Twitter so wholly. <laughs> Brag. Reach out on Twitter to that university and let them know they they do they do engage and they do value that uh, the interaction. Yeah. Um, so that is a viable way to get in touch with them. And many of them have like sentiment tracking and stuff like that now. Mm -hmm. Um, oh yeah. God knows now those, uh, those systems are probably doing crypto mining in the background, but Hey, (laughs) whatever works. Um, I want to kind of wrap up a little bit, but I do want to bring one interesting, uh, use case back. Uh, and here's something hold on. I'm going to, while we're sitting here recording, I need to type in this website. My cat's trying to talk to the microphone, too. What are you? Oh, it is awesome. Okay, everybody, stop what you're doing. If you're driving, pull over, get out your phone. If you're at work, you know, stop what you're doing. Tell your boss to go away. I want you to go to (laughs) otc.edu. Okay, I'm looking now. This is... Whoa. I... Okay. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about this. I wrote an article on OTC about six years ago, five and a half years ago, when they did this redesign. And it's a little bit different now, um, but it is still very much exactly what it was when I did it. Oh, my God. I love this. This is amazing. So, assuming that you aren't stopping to pull over (laughs) to the curb. What Ozark Technical uh, Community College did was they basically turned their homepage into Google. So Dylan was talking about in his article about how the university's website is a tool for finding answers. And OTC basically said, hold my fucking beer. (laughs) I I can only assume it must be working because here we are five and a half years later and they've stuck to this. I hadn't looked at the site recently, just popped into my head. Um, but they have stuck to this layout and so it must be doing something. So I'm looking at the site right now and it, it is like a giant, uh, what can only be described as like freshman starter kit in the background, bunch of books, a laptop, glasses, planner, phone, plants, coffee. And then it has search bar and a uh, search field in the middle with a search button and a start here button. And if you click and start here, it takes you to like a page that has really easy to read like blocks that are actually the things that I would care about as a prospective student. And this is a community college. Let that sink in. This is amazing. Th- these folks are actually real near to where I'm at, which is yeah. I one of these days I'm going to go over there and have a sit down with them just to pick their brain. It had now one thing I do notice that has changed when they did this redesign originally, it literally was just a search box. Now, I do notice you can yeah. scroll down that page, and now there is stuff below the search area, though the search area still loads as a takeover. I think they're using Tint. Yeah, they're, they have a little way. thing here that indicates, you know, more and go down. Um, so that's all well and good. And they've got a little slide-out menu from the right and everything. But they have... I mean, they've really embraced at least the idea that people just want to come to their site and get an answer to something. So we're going to give you a tool to do that. It's phenomenal. I love it. Like, I I wish every university site was like this. Really. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to do a test here. So I just did a search. I said, show me biology degree. They're using a, a Google custom search engine from the looks of it. 
And oh man. Oh yeah. I I wish they were doing better though. The first couple links are indeed uh program biology, program biology. Um Yeah. They're also using key matches. Um so that I don't know if they're using custom search or maybe a search appliance because they have key matches mm-hmm. here. The key matches did not match the biology degree program. Hmm. So, oh, okay. I see. Maybe they don't have one. Well, no, they do. They have a obviously because the first couple links here. Um, yeah. So, and when you click on the link, it takes you to a the page that has all of the courses that you. It has basically this the the total course syllabus the um the matriculation thing. Um, it's all laid out. You like you can literally see every course and every one of the course titles links to the course details. Yeah. I like. This is awesome. It's it's wild. Um, so that'll be the example we leave you with here at the end of this little uh, uh talk session. I I want to want to really one last thought about this. Just so even with all those minimalists, we didn't mention it, but in the top right corner, there's a hamburger menu. So I'm presuming that it's responsive. Yeah. Um, and if you pull out the hamburger menu, it has some of the typical links you would expect to see, like schedules, uh, workforce, student calendar, news, employment, etc. And then if you scroll down, it has the, uh, um, I don't know what that's called, but it's like the full width pictures and giant text boxes and videos and shit. Yeah. Whatever that is. The web (laughs) (laughs) 3.0. But it, it has like. It looks like a modern website, and it has all these things that modern websites would have, which I'm sure makes all the hippos happy. But it still has the main centerpiece is that minimalist thing. And I, like, yeah, I have nothing bad to say about this. This is awesome. <laughs> so there's your website <laughs> review for the evening as well. We're just full. A++. Full service uh, <laughs> drinking UX. and <laughs> Folks, I'm glad you tuned in this evening. I know this was kind of a weird episode. Uh, we promise the next one will be a little bit more structured than uh, maybe what we're uh, what you're used to at this point. But hope you enjoyed it. Hope you found something useful. Um, hope you had fun, if nothing else, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I think uh, I think we're gonna take a second, give you some outgoing uh, messaging, and we'll see you around. This episode of the Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by Gasmark 8. Look, web hosting is not sexy. It's just something that's kind of there. You pay every month to the big hosting company that secretly owns all the smaller hosting companies, and you get slow speeds, oversold servers, and terrible support. But the reality is, the couple extra seconds it takes for your website to load could mean lost customers or clients. Less customers equals less money. Where do you go if you want super fast, reliable, and affordable web hosting and you don't really want to babysit a Linux server 24-7? Gasmark 8. Their hosting environment is built for speed and security. All SSD storage? Check. Blazing fast WordPress? Check. Free SSL certificates for all domains if you don't already have one? Check. Data centers on both US coasts, the UK, and mainland Europe? Yes, yes, yes. Gasmark 8 was started by an American, Mike Ritualski, and a Brit, Adam Palin, two hired veterans who met at a conference and started a company making WordPress websites. As more clients complained about their web hosting, Mike and Adam thought over a couple of ciders at the pub that there's got to be a better way. So they built one, 
and now dozens of small businesses, developers, and nonprofits trust GasMark 8 with hosting their websites. If you run a web development or creative agency, GasMark 8 has a great reseller program you can use to upsell their fast and secure hosting to your clients. As a special for listeners of the Drunken UX podcast, GasMark 8 is offering this limited time special. You can get all the features of their super fast platform for just $10 a month. Just go to gasmark8.com slash drunk to sign up. That's gasmark, the number eight, dot com slash drunk. Once again, if you want to check us out and interact with us and give us feedback and tell us what you think about us, feel free to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter.com slash DrunkenUX. And also hit us up on Slack at DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Even if you want to make fun of us or tell us we smell funny or tell us we're not drinking enough, because let me tell you something, I am... Uh, we're, George, we're doing our best, guys, damn it. <laughs> no, seriously, though, thanks for listening. We hope you did have fun with this episode. Tune into the next one. We are continuing with part two of our higher ed series. We're going to be looking at a, 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 a selection of very specific challenges, including uh, some stuff on the homepage, news and PR, and also all of the tools that come into play to make a higher ed website work. Thanks again, and we'll see you around. See you next time. <laughs>